Today's episode is brought to you by Slay House Publishing, recorded at Wayne Howard Studios. of Slay House Presents. Today, we have special guest, <clears throat> uh, romance slash horror author, Desiree Nicoli. Um, I'm going to jump into her biography real quick. Um, by night, Desiree Nicoli writes a blend of vicious romance and cozy horror featuring monsters, villains, and the supernatural, often served with mostly emotionally intelligent characters and heart. By day, she is a public relations professional living the nomadic military life with her husband and two cats, Padre Hepburn and Puma Thurman. Although born and raised in Pittsburgh, Desiree has since lived in coastal Maine, where her spooky heart truly lies, and Maryland. Welcome, welcome. I've been looking forward to this for too long, and I'm so glad to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for inviting me on. It is I'm also very, very excited to be here. I am so glad. Um, well, how are you? I'm doing great. Um, I every time like I get to talk about vicious mermaids and horror meets romance, I'm just like bubbling with like energy and excitement. So well, I am so, so excited to get to talk about these books. Um as I've told you before, I heard about these books on She uh She Wore Black podcast, and I immediately told Trevor, I was like, I have to have these books. And he reached out to you and got the first book and you signed it. And I didn't even know that he was gonna get you to sign them. And they came in the mail. The first one came in the mail because the other one I didn't know about. I didn't even know there was a second one. And it came in the mail, and I was just like, she signed it. Oh my God, she signed it. <laughs> and I was just like, this is amazing. I got this book and I and she signed it. Like that was my first, I think that was one of my first personalized books. And I was just over the moon. So well, kudos to Trevor, because that's perfect romance hero kind of like that's like a romance hero gesture right there. Yes. That he went and like got you these books signed and like, ooh, surprise. Yes. Look, honey. <laughs> and I especially, like, we knew it was your mail before we even opened it because the envelope had a mermaid on it. I know. And oh my I gosh. kept the envelope for the mermaid stamp. I still have it. Oh, I love that stamp so much. It is getting so much mileage, honestly, until, like, the rubber wears off on it. I'm going to keep using it because it's just so perfect. And she's holding, like, I don't know, there's just, like, enough detail in it that she just doesn't. There's like I guess like enough edge to the detail of that stamp that she doesn't feel like your typical like sparkly Disney princess kind of mermaid, which no shade to that, but like we like vicious mermaids here. So yes. We like that edge. And she's holding like a cock shell, but like I'm like, if you color it just the right way, like she could be holding a bleeding heart. Like, I don't know. You just gotta use your imagination a little bit. Yes. But yeah, yeah no, yeah, I definitely. Like caught my attention and I was like oh this is from Desiree I know it is <laughs> <laughs> well good because yeah I was I was definitely like do it yourself like fancying up my packaging right there so I'm glad that the stamp works 
Oh, and then you also um, put in there, you put a couple of pieces of artwork. Yes. <laughs> Vicious Mermaid with her lover. And I still have those too. And I was just, mm. it's like. Chef's kiss, right? Yes, chef's kiss. I was like, I got to find a way to frame these or something. They got to go somewhere in my library. You know, now that you mentioned framing things, like it has been on my long like, okay, it shouldn't really be on my like long to-do list. It should be on my short to-do list. But like ever since we moved, I'm like, okay, here's my office space. I'm sorry your listeners can't see it, but like, look, there's all these blank walls. Yes. I should fill it with like, like print out these pieces of Lorelai and Killian, like really big. Oh, you should blow them up. Definitely. Yeah. Blow them up, put them in a frame and hang them on the walls. Oh, you should have not done that yet so I, I second it <laughs> yeah I see now now it's on like audio uh it's gonna be out there in the public in the universe like I'm on the hook now like I gotta do it didn't you put on Twitter that you had had somebody commission NSFW artwork for those two I know but I wished I thought you did I thought there was like oh oh I know what happened okay so I was during mermaid I was trying to do like you know I was trying to promote my books you know push out there like and encourage engagement and I think it was if I reach a hundred reviews on Amazon for called yes then I would commission not safe for work art and like you know put it out there for the world to enjoy did you not reach it (laughs) oh I didn't so I was like well I guess we're not thirsty enough for this people people are not thirsty enough for vicious mermaids apparently apparently that or the the twitter slash x algorithm was not in my favor which I think was probably a big factor but I don't know. It's it is complicated. I do words. I don't do social media algorithms. I could play the game, but my mental health just can't. I don't want I don't feel like it. No. No. Oh, I know the feeling. It's like you got to figure out when do I post things because there's a certain time of day, you know, people are online and boosting things. It's it's, it's and you, you got to be consistent because if you don't do it every day and this yeah. is the it was terrible at like keeping a diary like yeah I would be real good for a week and then just fall off never touch it again and when it comes to creating content that like I'm on a schedule for like I like have to do it like every day or every week like that's just I don't know my brain just panics and is like I can't do that but like writing a book when I have like six months a year what you know whatever time you know, like as much time as I want, like I, I can do it. I can commit to, I don't know why it's easy, like when it's, you know, that like open-ended like that, why I can commit to like 80,000 words versus like however many words are in a tweet, 140, yeah, 44, whatever it is. And, you know, I, you know, it's just, I don't know. It's like a mental thing and I just can't get over that. Yeah, I know what you mean. Maybe because you know those 80,000 so words. Pressure. 
Yeah, oh. there's too much pressure. You know those 80,000 words are going to mean more in the end than that stupid little tweet. Yeah, like this random thought I had about like staring off into the woods and it being a little bit spooky. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. I'm like, is my day-to-day life actually that interesting? I'm sitting here at a computer and like creating like elaborate stories and schemes because it's like, well, here's all the interesting bits about me. I'm channeling it all into this. At the end of the day, if you look at what my life looks like, I'm sitting in a chair, staring at a glowing screen and typing and... Yeah. (laughs) Yep. I know the feeling. So, first thing, um, question came to me today. Um, So you write eco-horror. Um, your interest in eco-horror, was it specifically for Haven Cove or do you see yourself writing more of it in the future, like in a different book or a different series? I think I will write it into as many works as I can, as many works as make sense. But I would say that there's certain projects that I've worked on that it maybe hasn't come up as, um obviously as it has in Haven Cove like it's very on the forefront with the mermaid series because it's like nature bites back the mermaids get vicious and um it's it's like the mermaid vision like version of Jaws in a sense but like with other works even if there's not like this outright like thread of eco horror there is definitely an appreciation for the natural world mm-hmm. and it is something that i try to show a lot of like attention or love to in like setting descriptions so even if it's not eco horror per se like i do like environmental settings are always like at the back of my mind just because it's just something that I enjoy a lot as a person. Like my happy place is like sitting outside, staring out into the woods in my backyard or like going on a hike or doing some kind of outdoor adventure. So I write for fun. So Mm -hmm. when I write stories and I'm setting in places, I want to feel like I'm in my happy place. Yes. Something you deeply, deeply care about. Right, right. And then, and I think that I, I like to think that shows through in the writing that I have an appreciation for it. Cause like settings, like, I don't know, settings, I feel like can be like an unsung hero in a story. Like mm-hmm. either in past it and you don't pay any attention to it or you like read it and it like really immerses you in it. Um, like enhances the story and that's what you want you want your setting to enhance the story not be something that your readers like oh gross <laughs> a paragraph of text there is no dialogue here <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah i get that yeah. Well, yeah that's definitely i felt that throughout both books one and two um you could definitely i definitely enjoyed the eco horror um, and it's fun to write because like again I grew up watching Jaws and like media like Jurassic Park or like mm-hmm. Godzilla which are you know they're all eco-horror um, and I guess maybe because like I lived in Maine and I was like very much like nature 
the great wilderness was in my backyard. So it felt very up close and personal to me. So it's something that I like to emphasize in all my work or, you know, wherever I can, I shouldn't say all my work, but, you know, wherever it makes sense, some little tidbit of ecology will sneak its way in, or even if it's just a basic appreciation for surroundings. Yeah. And the mermaids really help that, you know. Yeah, because they're, they're immersed in that environment. Like the ocean is just this wide open space. Um, I mean, there, there is like, it, it's not like a flat sea floor. Like there are mountains and there is, mm-hmm. you know, texture to the topography and terrain and such, but it's just so exposing. And so mermaids are really a good like faculty for exploring like the deep, dark unknown of the ocean. I think it's like 88% of the ocean is unexplored, which is mind boggling. It is. Because like we funnel so much funding into outer space exploration and like, there's there's like an extraterrestrial planet like on our own planet but it's (laughs) under the water so it's really cool to like not only like factor in all the environmental concerns into that setting so we're talking about you know pollution overfishing or you know shipping traffic like that creates a lot of noise and for a lot of sea creatures who have like hypersensitive hearing like that is constant, like discordant noise, ambient noise in the ocean all the time. So mm-hmm. it's like this background noise that never stops, which is kind of its own kind of horror if you think about it. Um, but yeah, they're like they're like trapped in this like big, large primordial soup that like whatever we do to the ocean, they're gonna feel the effects of it and they can never leave it. Yeah. Um also because it's so deep dark and unknown it like leaves a lot of room for the imagination to go wild so like if we're not talking about eco horror if we're talking about the storytelling and writing aspect of it like because so much like we don't know like it mm-hmm. just it it's like the it's like the ocean's version of like the sky's the limit like yeah. if we could come up with these insane like stories for aliens and outer space like we can do the same thing for what the world is like in the deep dark depths of the ocean yeah where man cannot venture you know yeah like with all those caverns um and caves that they find yeah yeah yeah, I mean, there's there's just so much. There's just so much there. And we'll never see it. It's, it's, it's like, so the ocean is so vast and deep and it's beautiful and it's a force of terrifying nature. It's, I don't know, it's like something that you can't help but be in awe of. And like the same thing with sirens and mermaids, like, yeah, there's the Disney version of it, which kind of, I think, like, um, 
you know, like takes away the teeth and claws of like the original siren figure that we get in like Greek mythology, which sings sailors to their doom and like makes them smash their ships on their rocks and, you know, that kind of thing. But like if, I don't know, like if we, if we go back to that like original myth or like you know create a kind of mermaid that at least like is a nice little hat tip to that past we can get a really cool blend of beauty and danger literally an embodiment of the ocean itself yeah so it's really fun for me in that regard someone who really appreciates nature and also appreciates scary monster ladies <laughs> like i don't want her to be defanged at the end like sure maybe she won't eat her boyfriend but like i don't want her the only person she won't eat is her boyfriend (laughs) all right (laughs) lorelei's too good for her own good let me tell you that (laughs) let me tell you i wanted her to eat her boss okay she was too nice i wanted her to crawl over that desk and eat her boss no right okay you know what not gonna lie I did too but like unfortunately I had to be true to the character and she just has too much like she has too many morals too many human sensibilities I'm like damn it I broke myself into a corner here (laughs) you can't just why did I have to make her so nice (laughs) I know I was like well actually so this is one of your questions so we're gonna accidentally jump to like one of the last ones first but you'd asked like how I felt writing a mermaid that goes against like the traditional like Disney mermaid and to be quite honest with you like that was something that I felt really like impacted by like I that was always on the back of my mind and I think it held me back from writing Lorelei as like like she could have been so much messier, so much bloodier and like bloodthirsty and such. And I think I held back because I was thinking, okay, I'm writing for the romance genre intentionally. I'm injecting like elements of horror because, you know, that's something that I enjoy personally. Um, but halfway this, halfway through the story, like she like eats a chunk out of somebody's leg. Like, Well, to be truthful, she deserved it. Well, yeah, I mean, I think so, (laughs) but, um, (laughs) but yeah, like how's Romance Landia going to react to that? Like a female main character eating a piece of somebody like that's, that's, that felt like a lot to me. And I was, I think, afraid to go all in and like make her a character that was unapologetically vicious, some, but like a mermaid that was born into the life of living in the ocean and craving human flesh and like that is just a delicacy we're gonna go for it when we when it's when it's basically offered to us on the silver platter no like no reservations just go all in instead I created a character who was born human raised human and through tragic um catastrophic events where she's part of a maritime tragedy at sea like her ship sinks her entire crew dies and she's the sole survivor and so when she finds out later that she's this flesh craving mermaid she's like this goes against everything that she thought she was 
disrupting her world the whole world order everything's just you know turned upside down so like when she's feeling these insatiable like hunger pangs to eat her boyfriend mm-hmm. her friends you know people that she loves people, strangers you know whoever just like if you're you got human flesh like come on over um like that is alarming that is something that she because she deeply cares about not hurting people like it's something that she has to fight and something I wanted to be careful about was like yeah she's fighting the hunger but I didn't want her to fight her mermaid like her monstrous mermaid side like she it gets to a point within this series where she can manage her hunger and get it under control and not mm-hmm. be ruled by it um you know kind of like an addiction like she's not beholden to it and so what's left for super strength like her, her teeth her claws like all of these things that enhance her power as a person like she can relish in those things she can celebrate them yeah um so yeah like no, she's not as bloodthirsty as like my gleefully murderous heart would like her to be. But like I can justify why, you know? Yeah. And she still has her moral compass. Yeah, she still has a moral compass. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but understandable. <laughs> understandable. So like, yeah, the the pressure from the outside to write a mermaid that, you know, I don't know fits the modern status quo is pretty and princessy and whatever like I didn't write that but I also was feeling pressure to maybe not go as far as I would have liked yeah the pressure was there to to kind of meet the status quo but still make the horror yeah I was like I'm gonna take a baby step and then dark ro- then I discovered dark romance and then like monster romance got big. And then I was like, ah, oh, shit, I could have just went all in. Damn it. I could have done it. <laughs> Why did I hold back? <laughs> you know, like I, there was no reason to do it. And I, I don't know. I was also writing calls of the deep before I was really on social media and like really getting a sense of like what people had a tolerance for, um, so like some inspirations for it, like media wise, like the shape of water, or like the Santa Clarita diet. So like these things existed in like the media sphere, but they didn't really like get explosively big until I think like the pandemic. So like 2020, 2021. And that's like when people were like flocking to KU and were like, we're going to read whatever you give me. And monster romance was, it was, was coming to the forefront and went viral. So. And where were you in the writing process with book one at that point? So I got the publishing deal for called to the deep in 2020. We probably started editing summer like early spring summer of 2022 so yeah technically I could have worked on it I could have gone back and I did to an extent I went back and 
I tried to level up some of the prose because like when I wrote the book in like 2018, 2019, like it, it's it's insane like how much in the space of a year you can grow as a writer. So going back and reading, I was like, whoa, this is bad. I need to like make it sound better. <laughs> and so like, you know, so I was trying to level it up, but it was also like very firmly the kind of story that it was. So to go back and try and make it more murdery, uh, make Lorelai more murdery like I would it'd be like writing a new character so it would it would have required a pretty significant overhaul that I just didn't have to be quite honest like the mental energy to do and yeah. I was working on other projects so it was like I was juggling a lot uh juggling the mental health of like surviving a pandemic and yeah it was just you know like as much as I'm like sometimes I like beat myself up over like oh I could have did this or oh I could have did that like at the end of the day I did the best I could with what what I had like mental like bandwidth wise and what the story was like telling me it needed to be you know that sort of thing well it turned out amazing you have all the time in the world to write another vicious mermaid where she just rips everybody to shreds and be as That's dark right. as you want to be. <laughs> That's right. And you know what? It's like, I'm like itching for it. Because like, I'm working on the third book in the Haven Cove series, Ensnaring the Siren. And that's following a character named Nereid who pops up at the end of Cults of the Deep. And she has a more prominent role in the second book, which is Song mm-hmm. of Lorelei. And so like she's allowed to be more vicious a little bit less apologetic about things than Lorelai is but I have to like you know like you have to restrain her a little bit you know like she can't just you know she's gotta have reasons she does have reasons for like you know occasionally having a nibble on somebody but yeah no I you're right I do have all the time in the world and like one day I'm going to write the absolute unapologetic like people eating mermaid that I know is in me yep (laughs) it's so much fun to be bad you know yes it is writing is so freeing that way because it's like the things that we wish we could do or the ways we wish we could react in real life like oh this person's being a jerk or oh they're like this is a really bad person and I'd like to stand up to them and like show them what's what like my characters get to do that I don't <laughs> if, I were my, if I were my character you'd be dead already <laughs> I know I would, uh, it's like how did I get this vicious I don't know in the world around us <laughs> yeah kind of going back to the equal horror question kind of tying in um book two really dives deeper into the marine biology um, what kind of research did you have to do uh, prior to writing? Um, yeah, so I actually was having a really hard time writing Song of Lorelei because I couldn't picture what the uh, Gulf of Maine would look like, like underwater. And when you're writing a story, like you don't want to like have no setting details. Like, yeah, you have to ground the reader in something. So I was like, uh, well, it's not a tro- it's not a tropical setting. There's not coral reefs down there. There's not colorful fish. This is dark, murky water. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to write like, and then they swam through swaths 
lots of water. There was only water up, down, sideways, just water. <laughs> like, that's boring. So I'm like, okay, I got to figure out what, <laughs> what this looks like. Yeah. Um, and thankfully, uh, a good friend of mine, her uncle works at the College of the Atlantic in Bar Harbor, Maine, and knew somebody he could put in, like, me in touch with. So um, I talked to a professor there. He specializes in right whales. So um, so mammalian type of, you know, the mammalian side of marine biology. And we had a lovely, like, speculative um, conversation about if mermaids were real, what would they look like? What are some of their biological features? What would their behaviors be like? What would their habitat look like? And he was able to like paint a picture in my head, like what the seafloor in the Gulf of Maine looks like. And he sent me some pictures and some videos. So I'm like, okay, now I can visualize this. I can actually write the story now. And he told me some like really cool stories about like, like, during 9-11 when all shipping traffic stopped like the oceans were quiet again so like whales and other sea creatures they're like low-key stressed all the time because of noise pollution so when like there's when the oceans go quiet again like the folks that are like measuring like their stress levels like when that drops you're like oh shit this is the this is a very tangible like demonstration of the impact we have on ocean life yeah and so that would also be a memorable historical event for a murf like a merfolk pod that's like living in the area and i'm like oh my god like my mind was blown and it was yeah it was just so helpful to talk to a marine biologist and of course like mermaids fictional mythological creatures like there's definitely some elements of like fantastical features involved, like them shifting from fish people into walking people with two legs and they can go up on land. Like, yeah, that's fiction. No matter how much we stretch this, I can't like biologically explain how they can do that. Yeah. But like, you know, like it's the fact that they have like lungs and gills and they can swap between respiratory systems like that's a real thing like lungfish can do that like you know there's certain things that kind of like allowed me to you know make them sort of biologically feasible but also not like completely hand wave like the fantastical elements because those are still fun like a sparkly bioluminescent mermaid tail yeah you know you gotta have it yeah <laughs> So yeah, yeah, no, I, I I was very fortunate in being able to talk to a marine biologist that that really helped uh, me write this series, write these characters, write the setting, especially the more they go down into like the, like the deep, dark ocean, which is more prevalent in book two than it is in book one. But yeah, very, very pivotal. Well, that, that sounds really interesting. And I'm glad he actually talked to you and wasn't just like, well, mermaids aren't real. <laughs> mermaids aren't real. This is weird. You're writing a paranormal. Why would I waste my time what? talking to you? No, he was like, this is a fun thought exercise. And I was like, oh. And when I asked him if I could um, acknowledge him 
in the acknowledgement section like shout him out and stuff mm-hmm. like his actual like real life name and like where he works he's like yeah and I'm like oh dude you're great it's like this is awesome <laughs> yeah what a cool guy he was so easy to talk to it was so much fun and like you know like I think of myself as like a casual science lover so like if you get down with like equations and like some really deep complicated stuff it my eyes are going to glaze over it's going to go over my head but like um he like no he like definitely delivered all the information to me and like a good balance of like layman's terms but like I am a man of my field I there are things I'm going to say that are very scientific but like I could still understand like I followed along perfectly you know what I mean yeah yeah this is definitely like he's a professor so like he he's an educator he should he should know how to deliver (laughs) that kind of information and he definitely did so and it didn't matter that I'm a romance writer he's like yeah we'll talk about vicious eating mermaids cool that's (laughs) badass Where did you get your inspiration for for Haven Cove? I would say mostly Maine. I mean, it came from a lot of different places. So I did a day sale with my dad and brother in Erie, PA. Um, they have like a replica tall ship. Mm-hmm. So like old tiny wooden ship with like the square rigging, sails, line, you know, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. So there was that. So like that sparked the... Lorelai was kind of like an intern on one of those and went on like a sea voyage and whoops bad weather came in and sunk that that ship right down but you know like that's where that element of it came from because I was like what you can like just for fun sail on one of these old-timey ships and like they do day sails but they also do like week-long month-long kind of voyage kind of like excursion kind of things I should do that one time. I have not yet, but yeah. So that was <laughs> let Lorelai be a lesson. <laughs> yeah, let Lorelai be a lesson. Unless I'm going to turn into a vicious mermaid, like yeah. Unless not... unless you're going to turn into a mermaid, then it's okay. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. Like, but that's not guaranteed. So why risk it? Yeah. <laughs> um. Another is so my husband's in the Coast Guard, and he was attached to a search and rescue unit when we were living in Maine. Mm-hmm. So all of his stories from that kind of were like percolating in my brain as I was writing this because it opens with a search and rescue. So Lorelai's ship, mm-hmm. whoop, it sinks. She's the sole survivor. People are out looking to see if her and the other crew members have survived, and like. So that's how she gets picked up and how her and Killian meet is this rescue scenario. Um, But like beyond that, like just living in Maine and being like 45 minutes away from Stephen King because he lived in Bangor and I was like in Ellsworth. So it's like, Mm -hmm. here's Bangor, here's Ellsworth. And then you go 30 minutes east some more and you get to... Mount Desert Island, which is complete. Well, it's obviously com- it's an island, so it's completely surrounded by the ocean, and mm-hmm. it's an Acadian, like that's Acadian National Park and such. So, I was, you know, a stone's throw away from the ocean, and it's such a it's such a beautiful place. Like during like the daytime, and the sun is shining, and it's like 
making this like rich blue water sparkle like it is just breathtakingly gorgeous and then the moment like you know the clouds roll in and it gets like a little bit spooky and it's like dreary and overcast and like the fog rolls in it's like prime time for like horror kind of setting and yeah um yeah like the coast like completely like transforms um and you just like can't help but wonder like what is lurking down there in those cold dark waters so like right (laughs) yeah like see it's 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 that obvious right so like being in that setting it made me like I want to write something a little bit scary like I feel like I'm here like I have to do it but I was also like coming off of like a serious outlander obsession yeah (laughs) also like I need to write something that's like romantic and deeply emotional and heartfelt so I'm like let's make these things kiss yes do both scary and romance you know like so yeah, like yeah, the setting like really just just living in Maine really went a long way for inspiring this series. And I don't know too. Like I just I always loved supernatural things, spooky things. Um, I grew up reading like a lot of like werewolf and vampire romance um, or fantasy and. And I was like, oh, but I don't want to do what everybody else has been doing. And not saying like I'm the first to do it. I'm not. But like I I didn't want to write a werewolf or vampire romance. So um, and I also wanted to give like the monster role to a female protagonist. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm, yes, vicious flesh craving mermaids. This is a match made in heaven. <laughs> I don't know it kind of I don't know how how else to explain it just like out of the sky just the right amount of like the perfect storm shall we say of like like created this this like idea in my brain that I'm like I have to write this (laughs) and we were all glad you did uh well thank you thank you very much I'm glad I'm not the only one who's giddy over vicious mermaids. (laughs) Yes. So you mentioned uh, vampires and werewolves. Um, Team Edward or Team Jacob? Team Bella gets the heck out of forks (laughs) and goes fuck some other monster (laughs) and some other continent that treats her the way she should. You know, I I heard somebody in a reverse harem group on Facebook because, you know, I'm obviously on one of those. Why choose? (laughs) Why choose? both why can't you just screw them both like why did we have to choose you were in that tent together and subs yeah you were in that tent together why they all could have canoodled yeah there could have been spooning a, a spoon no. sandwich but Bella, you did shit you could have had them both <laughs> <laughs> but then again it was a teen it was a ya novel Somebody yeah. okay, we somebody were, listening we were, to this podcast needs to write an adult reverse harem with Team Edward and Team Jacob. Okay, I'm just saying. Just if you wrote the fanfic, link it. Link it. <laughs> yeah. Somebody already wrote that fanfic. You need to link it. I mean, I'm just saying. 
cuddle for like discard all clothes for warmth yes that just writes itself it does i mean jacob had the right idea cuddling her for warmth but like everybody knows you get warmer with no clothes also everybody knows you get warmer when you bang yeah (laughs) edward popped in with his popsicle dick oh no we gotta bang it out to warm us up oh no oh no (laughs) what are we gonna do (laughs) it's for survival it's for survival (laughs) oh dear somebody write it okay somebody write it all i have to say so talking about the series i see i i seen i saw (laughs) (laughs) on twitter recently you mentioned you didn't actually see yourself ever writing a series but now we are up to you writing book three at what point did you realize that haven cove would be a series and are we seeing more books after three well first word oops oops (laughs) second word uh um oops (laughs) oops again uh i'm a discovery writer so plotting things out like i don't i don't do that i kind of do it as i go so i guess that kind of makes me a planter. so plotter versus pantser um your your listeners might be familiar with those terms but basically someone who like either like just flies by the seat of their pants or plots everything out. And I kind of fall in between. Usually it starts in the fly by the seat of my pants side of things. But as I go, like my brain's turning, I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm getting ideas. And then I'm starting to plot as I go. So when I wrote book one and two, I intended it to be a duology. So Lorelai and Killing Story was written and summed up as if like that was it this is what we get of them but there was like a little bit in the back of my mind when I was finishing that up especially when Lorelai meets her biological mother um that there could be more and I think the way I wrote some of the siren chapter so the siren pov is like neary gets her own pov chapter ursula gets her own pov chapter and then undine gets one as well um i think there was a part of my brain that was like these characters have their own voices they have their own stories to tell there could be more here um but i was like eh, i don't know is the series going to do well enough to justify that and when I was trying to promote books one and two for Mermaid, try and like create a little bit more hoopla, like let's, you know, get more attention on these, um, drive up sales, that kind of thing. Like the very business side of um, book writing and publishing. I was like, uh, I don't know that these books did well enough to justify writing more, even if I do have some semblance of an idea for what could come next. But I was kind of like in a casual like email to my publisher. They kind of like responded like in a very supportive, like, if you write more, dot, 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 like, <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And I'm like, oh, 
I could write more. <laughs> so I went to my agent and I was like, okay, would this be worth it? Like, even if I'm not like, you know, going Twitter or whatever, or on TikTok, because gosh, I can't be on TikTok. I, well, I lurk on TikTok, but doing a video, I can't do it. It's too much pressure. But anyway, like not going viral with my books. I was like, oh, is this worth it to keep writing? And my agent was like, you got the idea. Why not? Just do it. If they're going to, if if they, if, if your publisher is like interested, like go ahead and do it. And then I was like, okay, what would I write? How would I write this? It's like, I had the barest of bare bones of an idea for ensnaring the siren. I didn't have a title for it yet um I knew who the couple would be and I knew like what the love interest's job was gonna be and like but that was it that was literally it so I was mm-hmm. like my agent's like okay we're gonna come up with a book proposal so it's like a synopsis a cover letter the first two chapters and I'm like okay we gotta we gotta figure some stuff out so over the spake of sorry, over the space of Memorial Day weekend between me, my husband, and my agent, we plotted the entire book for ensnaring the siren. And I was like, oh, I guess we could do this. And as I sat down to write it, and it like just was flowing, and I was like, and then finished that, and then on to the next chapter. Like, I was like, wow, this was so easy. What? And it just kept flowing and flowing. Yeah, I thought it was going to be like pulling teeth, which is why I was so hesitant. Because it's like I had like a the again the barest of bare bones of ideas, and nope, it just like came in like a tidal wave. And next thing I know, I'm like, wow, I actually have a really great understanding for these characters and like what would drive them, and like their voices are coming super easy to me and. It just took like sitting down on my computer and starting and th- then it just, it, it started to flow and I'm like, wow. Okay. And then my agent read it and she's like, yeah, this is in your soul. I'm like, I think you're right. So, um, and now that I started this new book and I'm exploring new characters. Um, so from the deal announcement, it says an amber-eyed mermaid. If you've read the series, you can probably guess that it's Nereid who's going to be the female protagonist. Of Absolutely book. love her. And I don't mind sharing that. It's not like that big of a secret. She plays such a big role in book two. Like she is the prominent mermaid other than Lorelai in book two that like, of course she had to be the next book. And um. Yeah, as I write her, as I get to explore her as a character, because, like, she's in a very, like, stressful, like, traumatic situation. So she, like, yeah, she volunteers to be a part of the mermaid research study, but it quickly gets, like, out of hand when leadership decides, no, you cannot leave ever. And they, like, instead of treating her as um, a research participant who gave consent to be there they're like no you're an animal in captivity yeah so that has a huge effect on her so like getting to see her in her own book 
like yeah she's grappling with that but also get to see like the fun quirky sides of her let that breathe let her be her own mermaid so to speak show her mischievous side her wicked side her playful side like that's a lot of fun and it also enables me to get to know her sister um Ursula it, it allows me to get to know the pod leader and Dean and like the other mermaids because it like just writing one character and like how they interact with other characters it just it 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 feels that's that that discovery process so like as I was writing and snaring the siren I was like oh this is what could come next for her sister they're they're this is what's going on in this in this book right now and this is what it could turn into later yep yeah so I'm like oh man I got big plans and I don't know my like secret goal is to like bit by bit like wean us into some deep sea mermaids so like I'm talking like really monstery, creaturey kind of mermaids. So I'm like, well, that's a spoiler, but that's okay. I that's don't, super I, exciting. I, I'm sure I would tweet that at some point. It's like it could be public information. <laughs> so we could potentially be seeing like book four, book five. Yeah, book I mean, six. I don't know exactly. So like, I yeah. I want to write a book for Ursula. I want to write a book for Indine. And maybe like a character we haven't been introduced to yet. So I'm thinking at least three more after Ensnaring the Siren. And um, yeah, slowly but surely like allowing my like monster romance brain to. <laughs> and you could totally break out and do other monsters with that that's true that's true like a sea kraken yeah again undiscovered 80 percent of the ocean is undiscovered undiscovered we could create our own monsters i mean that's that's right oh my gosh there there is no telling what you can discover down there the magical leoporidon that has still existed to this day past you know yeah dinosaur times yeah (laughs) You know, I don't know. <laughs> the, the sky, the sky, or the sea floor is the limit. You know? Yes, the ocean is the limit. That's but right. But right now, because it's undiscovered, there is no limit. There's no. Yeah, exactly. What? Yeah, I could come up with anything, and it would be feasible. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and but I'm yeah. here for it all day long. <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so glad. I'm just yeah. I am so ready to to take this series to a I don't know as unhinged of a level as I will be allowed within the constraints of the story that I created you know oh hun with everything that is out there right now with the shit that I read like if if your agent and your publisher know what's good for them they will be like do what you want okay I will say yeah no I mean I will say that I am extremely fortunate that my agent is on board with all the unhinged monstery things that I've come up with. So this is not related to the Haven Co. series at all, but I wrote like a winter hag 
story set in the Black Forest of Germany. And that is a character that, because it's not within a series, there's no pre-existing story to it. Like there's no, like it is its own thing. So I got to write that female protagonist incredibly like gleefully murdery and unhinged. And she has a monster boyfriend and it's just, I don't know. Like it was the story after writing Calls of the Deep that I'm like, I really needed to write because I could go all out with it. And like my agent was so supportive and I'm like, you're the right one for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it seems to like traditional publishing is starting to open up about it. Like it's hard to ignore the success of monster romance. Like it's for a business minded, like, industry like traditional publishing like that's what they're looking at they're looking at the dollar signs and monster romance is delivering so romance in general yes like the the margin between um romance and i forget i don't know if it's fantasy if it's fantasy is what's next i it's been so long since i've read the article but I know like the the genre that's underneath fantasy as the the next selling genre. I know they're in the millions. We are in the billions. Yeah, that is I staggering. Mean, romance is just taken clear off. And so yeah. for anybody to question the their author yeah. on what they want to write, they're just plumb out of their fucking mind. <laughs> I mean Do you hate money? <laughs> you hate money are you stupid <laughs> like let your author write whatever the hell they want to write because they're not going to lead you astray <laughs> i mean especially monster romance i mean oh, yeah you know and and that was something too is like i know for like traditional publishing when when it's finally gonna put out the books that you know touch into that genre like they're gonna do baby steps you know it's gonna be a little bit at a time because they're catering to a mainstream audience and I don't know like when you're in the indie space and how like pervasive monster romance is like I don't know it feels pretty like like it it like it tapped into mainstream but maybe it's I don't know I I, I can't speak to like how pervasive that audience is compared to what traditional publishing can like like you know what the pool looks like that traditional publishing is considering but like so like yeah there'll be baby steps but they're looking and they're I, I think they'll I think once they see how like the first steps go they'll be like okay okay <laughs> we can go a little harder with this we can go a yeah. little wilder and because like the romance um like the monster romance readers are very voracious and they have like a high tolerance the highest of tolerances for weird and unusual like give us the creature features the more creative the better because it's like all these like things like tails and horns and like extra limbs and they're all meant to enhance like the sexual pleasure the sexual experience and uh, intimacy between the characters so I think there'll be like a little bit of a hurdle for um 
you know, like a cautious traditional publishing putting books out into the monster universe because they won't be like willing to go all in. Like readers are willing to like voraciously like devour. So it'll, I mean, it'll be interesting how that plays out. Yeah. It won't take them long. Yeah, they'll figure it out. (laughs) Yeah. Um, be more unhinged, please. <laughs> please. And thank you. More tentacles, more horns, more partners. Yes. More Not... everything. Yes. More. Give us more. <laughs> Whatever you're doing, it's working. Just more. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. So what was it that got you into monster romance? And was it monsters that came first or was it the romance? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, Just because I feel like kernels of both interests always existed in me, just maybe not like in the way it is now. Like obviously when you're a kid, like what you're interested in or what you like, like it's going to evolve over time. Yeah. So I was... I very much loved Beauty and the Beast. I loved Casper the Friendly Ghost, like that um, TV, or no, sorry, not TV, like a, it might have been like made for TV movie. I'm not sure, but it was like a movie and it had Christina Ricci in it. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah. And I loved that. Like ghost romance. Yes. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I was also like super duper obsessed with Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow. Yes. Christina Ricci film. Ah, there's a pattern here. Something creepy but, about her. <laughs> yeah, like she does like spooky movies really well. Like her, Winona Ryder. Like there's just certain, there's like a certain like group of actresses that like tend to pop up in your favorite um, Halloween movies. And you're like, I know this is going to be good because you're in it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like I really enjoyed those things and maybe like when I was a kid I was like wow this is really cool or I'm just like really enjoying the vibe right now whereas like as an adult like you're like oh like you pick it apart a little bit more and you realize like you know there's more to it so like I don't know one of my favorite like offhand examples is like in Lord of the Rings I used to think the Balrog was super cool like Mm -hmm. what a cool design for a creature so powerful so big has a fire whip as an adult I'm like yes daddy what would you like me to do (laughs) yes daddy (laughs) (laughs) so I mean I I think romance like at the forefront of my mind came first I think I liked romantic stories um a whole lot like anything that I would read if it had a romance in it even if it wasn't like categorically romance like if it would like fell under fantasy like whatever like if it had like a strong um romance in it with like great chemistry and it leaps off the page and it like seizes your heartstrings like obsessed absolutely obsessed with that kind of that kind of story so that I would say like romance came first and I was a late bloomer to the romance genre so it wasn't until about five years ago that I actually like was like oh 
the mm-hmm. thing that I've been obsessed with this whole time has its own genre and you get it guaranteed every time and I'm like every time yeah mind blown so like that came first but because I was such a late bloomer that early on into my reading and writing journey monster romance became big you know like maybe two three years in and then like monster romance took the stage and I was like oh my gosh because like okay again like I love supernatural things I love spooky vibes a little bit of scary mixed in with like the kissing so I was like okay paranormal romance that's that's gonna be my scene I'm gonna be great I'm gonna be served well here and then I read some paranormal romances and I'm like wait why am I not getting sucked in as much as I thought like what what's missing here like just something wasn't like clicking for me and I'm like this is wrong everything's wrong this is confusing I love werewolves and vampires and stuff like that why am I like not getting like sucked like am I just fine am I not finding the right books which to this day very well could be the case I might not be finding the right books um or I just need the 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 supernatural creatures to be scarier and um to bone the love interest or the main character in monster form. I mean I, I've got some wrecks for you. <laughs> okay, good. Okay, good. I'll be I'll be taking some notes after this. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, I guess I guess not being Get, not getting what I was I don't know wanting from paranormal romance I was just like when monster romance hit I was like <gasps> and I started I like I started reading them and I was like gobbling them up and like I was giddy I was like foaming at the mouth giddy for like these books and it's like okay still to this day I'm like I'm like a little squirrel and like I see a sh- or, or like a raven and I see a shiny new thing I'm like oh book 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 and like my attention's like pulled in a million different directions so I don't actually read as much monster romance as I would like but I'm like no you gotta read more you know you love this and so it's like I'm I'm just I am a little bit like on the inside I'm a little bit feral for this for this genre and I hope it lasts forever because I want to read it I want to keep writing it yeah um yeah yeah because you just you can be on you can be a little bit unhinged now I know like monster romance like it can go in like some really cool like wholesome slice of life kind of directions but because you know I have like this little background where I like spooky scary things I'm like I want the monster to stay truly monstrous in the sense like scary I want this monster to scare the crap out of me but like everybody else is forfeit but like the main character that is gonna fall in love with them you know what I mean yep like I want I want I want them to be so I don't know I want them to be vicious I like it when they eat people (laughs) everybody but the love interest right everybody but the love interest I blame it on Jurassic Park I swear that was I watched that when I was like in the single digits and that has permanently left its stamp on my psyche <laughs> it's one of my favorite movies I, I re- you know what dinosaurs eating people what can I say so your love it sounds like your love for the 
the monster romance is kind of how I am with like right now with like uh dark romance with the stalkers and whatnot. Like they have the touch her and I'll kill you vibes. Yeah. It's like they I'm all for them being murderous, but they're only murderous to everybody but her. Yeah. It's like they are grumpy sunshine with everybody but her. Um, yeah, like grumpy, like sunshine on steroids. Like, yes, to the max, you to know, to the max. It's like, I will fucking kill everybody for you, but touch a hair on her head, you will wish you'd never been born. I and know, I'm, right? Have I'm you here for that? Like you what? The, the originals, the CD or the CW TV show, the originals with like I actually I never got into that I was all about the vampire diaries yeah but I never got into the originals okay well you if you've watched the vampire diaries then you'll know who Klaus Michelson is (laughs) sorry that's like my Klaus I was attracted very much to Klaus yes yes this forms everything (laughs) he is the epitome of touch her and die (laughs) yes i loved his (laughs) obsession with caroline oh my god i will never forgive the show writers for delivering us the tyler lockwood is your first love but i will be your last yeah and didn't fulfill it and i'm like yes they gave her a warwick and i'm like fucking a warwick cares a shit about him nobody i mean we liked warwick but he was not in game not for caroline no they should have kept Josie alive and yeah. Whatever. Anyway. Yeah. I loved Klaus. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I also like Damon, but then Klaus came in and totally usurped that that bad boy villain character as the love interest role. Damon was the bad boy for me. All the way. Yeah. I could not do a Stefan. No, after Damon came in, Stefan was. You're too wholesome, man. I'm sorry. Annoying. <laughs> you know, yeah. He was annoying. He couldn't own up to the fact, like, okay, here's here's a vampire who was the Ripper. Yes. Like, murder spree central. And he's like, no, but I'm the good guy now. And I'm like, okay, you just. Mm. You just need to own up to it. Be a little, quit being a little bitch. You're a vampire. <laughs> You need to own up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is who you are. Oh my God. Speaking of vampires, did you recently watch The Invitation? Yeah, I did. Oh my God. That movie. I need somebody to write that book, but her like want to stay. And it needs to be a reverse harem. Well, actually, it just needs to be a harem. Because obviously, <laughs> obviously, it's not a reverse harem. It's just a harem. But I need her to want to stay because, yeah. bitch, let me tell you, if my husband looked that good and he was an immortal vampire, good Lord, what was she thinking? Well, he got manipulative. So if only he could have been like, not that, like if he could have just reined it in a little bit longer and like, yeah, no, I agree. If he hadn't like, if he had, okay, so how we see dracula in the beginning of the movie and how he's like wooing her throughout like if he could have maintained that energy sure slay people all around like i'm good with that but like if he could have like 
not encroached on like you know not given like red like relationship red flags like yes let <laughs> I wanted yeah I too wanted them to like be an immortal love together and yes. I was like oh no but he just turned into like a person that he was not like presenting himself to be he like did a 180 and like but do no. you think he, do you think he was like that because of the way she behaved uh remind me what did she do that made him flip like or, the way when, he, when when he finally became himself and you know when she's like where where's the bride and groom and mm-hmm. he they slit the maid's neck and they all started drinking her blood and she finally realized oh shit i'm the bride they're all vampires i want to go home she just <laughs> literally had a freak out where i would have been like oh my dream come true (laughs) (laughs) i get to be immortal (laughs) my husband is the hottest thing on the planet okay sign me up yeah you know what i think what we needed to do is like massage the characters a little bit like make make her like a little bit more more morally bankrupt and like uh yeah it I don't think for who she was, given how like they set her up in the beginning, um, I don't think that would have flown. Because like she fe- she related too much to like the maids in this scenario, because like she comes from like a less affluent background, and she's yeah. like entering like British aristocracy, yeah. land, and you know it's it's like a lot. So like I think I think it made sense. The way like she reacted at the end but in the perfect world like she I don't know <laughs> maybe he could have eased her into it he could have been like okay um <laughs> here's what's gonna happen know. I'm a vampire <laughs> yeah I need a third bride <laughs> and I need your bloodline yeah and so, she could have been like all right and then she could be super cool and like pragmatic pragmatic about it and be like okay like what is it in what what's in it for me and then they could like do a little negotiation and then like oops chemistry happens yeah. it's like no i'm doing it for the money or i'm doing it for this or i'm doing it to save my cousin or i don't know like <laughs> i'm doing it for whatever reasons and then like i don't know but i would have easily <laughs> said yes after that mind-blowing sex I would have. You know what? I thought there should have been more sex, to be quite honest with you. I thought that there was going to be more. And I think I watched the, there was two different versions you could watch. There was the. Was there a version with more sex? Yeah, I think there was. And I thought I watched it and I was like, what? (laughs) Game of Thrones gave me more. (laughs) You're like, this is bullshit. I'm like, I was promised things. I was promised side boob. And some ass. And I got nothing. <laughs> like, what the hell? <laughs> this is some oh, bullshit. <laughs> this is bullshit. Um, but yeah, no, like, oh, but she was getting some, like, really good, like, f- friendship chemistry, but could have been, like, more than friendship with, like, one of the vampire brides. And then, like, once we get to, like, the final showdown at the end and we see, like, how, okay, yeah, the one vampire bride is, like, super status quo and is gonna fight everybody on behalf of dracula until the end until like her and the other bride are like you know 
it's like their last moments of life and then you like see like their actual connection like no these are two people that actually deeply care about each other and the fact that that they have been brought to this moment fighting to the death is kind of of tragic and i'm like no we could have all been friends we could have all been friends with benefits friends with benefits (laughs) we could (laughs) have we could have been a whole oh we could have been a harem damn it (laughs) whole polycule whole like symbiotic sexual uh love shack i don't know we could have made this movie into a whole like four book series okay (laughs) why do you have to go and kill each other lost potential (laughs) make love not war yeah make love not war oh he could have banged it out oh well anyway we that's the kind of monster romance i'm here for (laughs) i know yeah where you don't have to you don't have to choose and you literally like it's limitless you can you know as long as consent's involved you everybody can do whatever they want yeah as much as they want and it's really beautiful yeah it's why we have why choose yep oh i have a little hummingbird visiting me he flew away little little buddy little buddy oh i've got a couple more here and then i want to get us talking about more monster romance and i'm gonna share some books with you sounds good (laughs) um so Killian is so loving and supporting throughout both of the books. Um, but there was a short period of time where I was really worried that he was so scared of Lorelai that he might leave. Was there ever a point that you were worried you were going to write like a third scene, third scene, like a, um, you know, what do they call it? The third act breakup. Third act breakup. That's what I was trying to say. Was there ever a point in time you thought that was going to happen? No. <laughs> Um, okay, so just to like give you like a little taste of who I am as a person today when I was listening to an audiobook that's got like a strong romantic subplot in it and when I like got the first whiff of like, oh, okay, like the breakup's coming. This magic that we've been ensorcelled in this whole time has created a bond between us that is making us love each other. It's not real. Or is it real? I don't know. And I'm like, shit. You just turn it off. I did. I was like, I can't even right now. Are you serious? Like, it was like getting real good. They were about to get hot and heavy. Like, it was about to be Bangtown, USA. And then she was like, oh, this magic I'm seeing in his eyes. It's like, oh shit he's possessed by this magic and like this might not be his real choice he might not be consenting to this it might be the matching magic making us bone and i'm like ah why you do this to me right now turn this shit off (laughs) (laughs) i can't handle it right now and so i uh yep i paused that and um yeah I'm a big external stakes girly, so I like it when the couple has to work together to solve problems, that they lean on each other rather than, like, run away or push each other um, in the opposite direction uh, whenever the going gets tough. Um, 
And I don't know, I, I guess I feel like I feel more inspired by a couple that works together to solve their problems. Like, like when it gets really difficult um, and, you know, like figures it out together yeah. that I do when they like break up and come back. Like the breakup, unless it's done really, really well, like, okay, like breakups and makeups, they happen. Like I get that, but like, unless it feels absolutely right, like it has to happen for the couple to come back stronger or for the characters to be true to themselves and what they believe in, like, I'm not going to necessarily buy the third act breakup. So, like, I very rarely insert it into my own stories because I'm just like, or we could just talk it out and kind of, like, come up with some boundaries and solutions together and it'd be great. Yeah. We could say what's on our minds. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe it's like too much emotional intelligence but like that's something that like I intend to write into my stories like I include that in my branding so I'm like okay with you know taking that take with it like it doesn't mean that we have to do away with the third act breakup or do away with the miscommunication trope I'm just like it makes it makes my skin crawl a little bit yeah unless it's like I don't know. There's like a sweet spot for me personally as a reader. Um like that I need it to to meet for me to be like, okay. And then it has to be followed up with like a really, really good grovel. And then I'm okay. But like I think a lot of times I don't feel satisfied in that way. So yeah. And then also with like Lorelai and Killian, like she makes a mistake but she doesn't like when she like takes a bite out of somebody like that was a mistake she was like controlled by her hunger like it it overwhelmed her and immediately after she's like oh god oh god what the fuck did i just do did i kill her did i kill her and is trying to rectify that situation so the fact that like she seeks help afterwards she's trying very hard to resolve something that has become a very serious problem and yeah this is these are like the actions of a person who cares deeply about other people and not hurting them um so for like Killian to break up with her in the wake of that that just that just didn't sit well with me you know yeah it's different if somebody has a grievous flaw and like they're not I don't know like they're like meh it's who I am or you know like they 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 wave it off or like they don't try they don't recognize that like okay what I just did was a red flag um which is valid like Lorelai <laughs> taking a chunk out of like somebody's leg like that's a red flag to Killian his life could be in danger but the fact that she's like they're talking through everything and they're trying to like come up with solutions to be like okay I'm not going to get to this point again where I can't help myself in nom on somebody like the amount of effort that she puts into it it just I'm like yeah she's trying too hard it I don't know it didn't feel fair to me but I don't know maybe I'm just wired a little bit differently I was super glad 
that that it wasn't written in there because i'm i'm the same way as you are i prefer authors not to write in that third act breakup and some authors do it in a way like you can literally feel it coming you're just like it's almost like a, a, a formula <laughs> you it know is. you just see it coming a mile away and you're just like i can feel the tension between these two characters it's it's written there <laughs> and you just you dread it but you yeah. know you know it's coming and you just have to grin and bear it and hope that the makeup is worth it um yeah you're like it's i hope the makeup it. sex is worth it yeah right <laughs> i hope this was worth it for you because the, makeup the sex, trauma the that apology. you have caused me yeah i mean the apology like i really want the apology to feel very meaningful like if you're gonna mess up that bad or you're gonna give up on me right yeah. now your apology better sell me on our future like yeah. it really has to be good because otherwise like how am I supposed to believe in your happily ever after you know um so like I'm picky about that but you're absolutely right if it feels like a formula it's because it is like it's one of the beats like one of the story beats in romance and I'm not saying like completely do away with it I just you know I want to I don't know I like have my own personal preferences and like how I want to do things and I was a goody two-shoes growing up so now as an adult I'm like I will break the rules I can and when you like write for like a when you write indie or you write for a small publisher like you can get away with like rules what are those yeah (laughs) but like when you're traditionally published you might not have like that leeway so it's like okay now's the time they have to break up we're gonna make them break up (sighs) but like this is what is expected from the genre so like I I get that and but you know I like I like I kind of like I'm I'm in the indie and small press space so I kind of have like the luxury of of making it be what I want it to be so not like including like you know focusing on the external stakes and not having to have the third act breakup so I mean I mean also I'm not I haven't like traditionally published like at a big press I don't know like how much pressure is put on authors to have that in there um I don't know like if it's like a huge like if it's like a expectations like no we're not like budging on it or not so yeah I I don't know I don't know specifically if it's something that they have to do I know um one of the series that I've read by Sarah Kate um it's the Salacious Players series I don't know if you've heard of it uh Mm -hmm. but like she has one two three I think it's up to like book six at this point but I think book four she breaks out of that third act breakup and it's more of like they don't break up they just they go through I think there's like an accident and like their relationship is exposed and they kind of have to deal with that and so it's not they're breaking up it's just it's hard to explain but I was like very surprised because all of her other books there is a very clear third act split yeah and then the fourth book came along yeah like so like you get a third act like there's like a climatic moment but it's external forces making things you know spotlighting on them and it's making things tense for them but like them as a couple is not like shaken yeah Uh, 
yeah and that's what i like i like that a lot um but yeah no that's a good point and you know i wonder too if it's like genre expectations like this is how it's always been done kind of like what we were talking about earlier in the conversation about like disney mermaid versus vicious mermaid and how like that like external pressure kind of just like influences how you write a story yeah and yeah sometimes i wonder if it's just like uh, you know like if it's just like uh this is how it's always been done and this is i I gotta write it to fit this this formula because you know people yeah. like to joke and say romance novels are a formula they're like anybody can write a romance novel you just have to follow the formula <laughs> Well, okay, you could say that about like a mystery novel, and it's not that cut and dry. I mean, like, yeah, you hit beats, but like, you got to make it interesting along the way. There's still yeah. there's still a story, there's still a plot. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's not like, and then they banged, and then it. I don't know. It's just like it's not like, I don't know. It's not fluff in between these yeah. romantic encounters and it's you know it's not even them banging every time like it depends on like every romance book has a different spice level sometimes it's closed door and that's fine too but like there is plot there's a conflict <laughs> it has to be resolved yeah it's no more formulaic than like a like a detective procedural or a mystery novel is you know yeah so yeah but I don't have to explain that to you because you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do I know? <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the last questions that I had. Um, so the spice between Lorelai and Killian was amazing. I was here for it all day long. Um, and one of the things that I never would have thought of, um, that they would have incorporated in their their sex lives was her siren song. And it just, oh my God, it was like next level. I was like, um, I think I've discovered a new kink. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think I've discovered oh a new kink, God. even though I don't have a siren song myself. <laughs> Mama, tell me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but where did that idea come from to use her siren song to like play with him? Like, cause that was just chef's kiss. I was, I was in love with it. Thank you. Okay. So um, I wish I pulled it out of the sky. I didn't. So there's a TV show called Siren and the male main character in that is addicted to Siren song. So he hears it once and he like craves to hear it ever since. So like he asks the main Siren character if she'll sing for him. And this is all while like there's a sexual chemistry going on and there's mm-hmm. like a love triangle, but it's like the healthiest love triangle that there ever can be because it's more like a wise choose kind of love triangle. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> so like he asks her, like, will you sing to me? And so she does. And it's just this really beautiful, intimate moment. And it just stuck in my head. Um, that this is something that like can be shared between two characters so like siren song it has always been seductive like greek mythology sing those sailors to you know crash upon the rocks and die and you know yes that kind of thing like that's always been there but the key difference in like the show and my books is like one like death's not the end goal and then two, like the male main character 
they're not only consenting to be sung to, but they're also asking their scary ladies to take control for a little while. Yeah. And I think of that as like the ultimate, like supernatural uh, trust fall test. Yes. So like by the time Lorelai is singing to Killian, like they have this deep well of trust between him and like he knows he's safe and it gives him like that freedom to be turned on by her more monstrous side. So like, you know, like fully giving into like her sharp edges and a song that she only sings for him. Yeah. And, you know, like that kind of vulnerability and trust, like that's a gift to have yeah. that with a partner is an absolute gift. And I think like that element of it makes it like the most beautiful and intimate element of it all. And, you know, and of course, you know, like just there's something alluring and being told what to do and trusting mm-hmm. another person to have all the reins and all the control i just i loved that scene she was i believe if i remember correctly she was out on the beach in the water yeah she starts singing and lures him out to the beach and i is he like discarding his clothes as he's going yeah yeah (laughs) i'm just like who dang yeah i'm here for that he's for her like yeah he's in a trance but I was here Isn't for that. Isn't he? Like, it's like he is, but like there is so much willingness happening right now that it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. He he fully embraces that side of him that wants the monster because like he feel like he feels safe enough to. She yeah. makes him yeah. feel safe and he's consenting to it. And that's very important in their scenario because in book one, he's terrified of her. Like he, the, there is like this undercurrent of attraction and desire for her sharp teeth claws and, you know, the things that make her mystical and otherworldly. But at the back of his mind, he's like, she ain't a piece of somebody's leg. She's a freaking mermaid with sharp ass teeth. <laughs> yeah. So like, it's like, oh my god what if she like gives me a blowjob and what if my oh my god I remember reading that part I was like and then at one point she does doesn't she where he's just like he's fully trusting her and she does and I'm like oh shit yeah he like me he's like hey could you like have a snack first and then we could do this and he's like (laughs) what Uh, okay this this was so romantic but okay (laughs) I'll go have a snack first if you would say. Because, <laughs> like, she goes to get a box of condoms and there's like a can of spam in there. And she's like, dude, are you serious? And he's like, I got assets to protect. Yeah. Safety first. Okay. Safety first. <laughs> but yeah, they roll. One of my other favorite scenes was when she swam out to him first off i was like woman are you gonna make it i was worried for her i'm just on right yeah i was just like i really really hope you make it because at at that point we were still unsure how far she could swim yep and so she gets out to the boat 
And I, I just remember him, like, wasn't he standing out on the boat? Was he out on he the was, boat? Yeah. So he was sleeping and like, he hears her siren song and it's kind of like mixing into the dreamscape. So he's like envisioning Lorelai undulating through the water and he's hearing the siren song and he like wakes up and he's like, I got to go out on deck. And he like walks out on deck and she's like, <laughs> and she crawls over the edge and he just sees her piercing eyes in the dark. And I'm just yeah. like, that has to be the most fucking terrifying, but gorgeous thing he's ever seen. That's right. Absolutely. This, this mermaid crawling over the edge of his boat with her like sharp ass teeth. And he's and- in this trance. And I'm like, he's about to get him some booty. That's right. <laughs> Some danger bang time. <laughs> yeah, but so for a little bit of like character description for your listeners. So Lorelai is like, she's got like piercing green eyes, like bioluminescent. So like glow in the dark kind of stuff. And like, there's these like bioluminescent nodes throughout her body, on her tail. She can transform into like a semi-human state. So like, even if like you know as she's crawling over the side and like flinging a leg over like there's still scales going up like the side of her like her thigh and she's got like sharp claws and webbing between her tail uh, or sorry webbing between her uh fingers and like these like a mouthful of like needle sharp teeth so like if she smiles at you you're like oh shit i'm gonna die (laughs) she's gonna eat me yeah so like you know and like gills on her neck so like there's enough features of her that she like looks human but then there's just enough features that you're like no this isn't right this is a bad situation (laughs) (laughs) she's not completely like yeah not completely human there's like a little there, there there's an edge or a bite so to speak to her and Killian's like, I may die, but that is the sacrifice I guess I'm gonna make. <laughs> it's a sacrifice I'm gonna make to get me some tail. Some <laughs> no tail. pun intended. Yeah. Some little, yeah. <laughs> oh, is that cool. the time that he takes her like against like a pole on the the deck, or does he take her down below? Uh, he takes her down below to his cabin. Because, like, this is their first time being intimate after she uh, attacked somebody. So he's still cautious. And they still have, like, they have to establish some some trust. So, like, he's, like, willing to, like, go along with, like, scary mermaid Lorelai. But she's, like, very gentle, very, like, we'll go at your pace. Um, But she is a mermaid. Right. But she's a mermaid at the time. And, like, there's, like, a... Something that he was very cautious about was like kissing her because of her sharp teeth and not wanting to cut himself like on those sharp edges. Um, And so like she like, you know, takes it very slowly and like as they're like kissing, like he accidentally nicks himself and she kind of like just like eases back, exposes her neck, which is kind of like the animal kingdom's submissive. uh, Yeah, like exactly like i'm exposing a vulnerable part of myself to show that like you're still in control everything's fine and he's like oh okay i wasn't about to get like (laughs) you know like (laughs) numb to death um so like you know 
that first time is like, you know, more gentle, more let's go at your pace. But the second time, yeah, yeah, he totally bangs her up, bangs her up. Well, that sounds really bad. I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> oh, he does bang her. We can say that. It was a total bang. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't beat her up, folks. He just, you know, dicks her down real good. Uh, up against a wall like they're out on the deck underneath like the stairs that leads to the pilot house and she's like down in like a dark little alcove and like that was the second time she swam out for a booty call yeah and he's like shit i'm really into this he's like, <laughs> like, like he's on the fence about it not because like he doesn't like her coming to visit but because when her scent is on him, she attracts other vicious mermaids in the water. And the first time she went out and like after they banged and like swam back to shore, they're like, oh, we smell human on you. And they come and they're like, you know, ready to wreck shit. And she gets, you know, she gets injured in that altercation. So like he's yeah, really not good. Yeah, he's really concerned about her safety. Um the fact that like if she gets hurt he will never know like he like unless he goes back to shore and she doesn't show up like he can't there's no like she can't like oh, i'm gonna send a text real quick down here under the sea ten thousand leagues under and you know let you know i'm okay like you yeah. know she like he can't know until he gets back to shore and sees her in person like technology is not like a factor that you know, like it's not a tool they can use so he's like very weary about her swimming like 60 miles out offshore to his boat for that yep. reason. And then she comes up on board and he's like, damn it, you're hot. <laughs> I can't resist. I can't. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, their chemistry is undeniable. And I am quite sad that we only had them in books one and two but i am so anxious for the chemistry for the new couples i mean i know it's gonna be insanely hot i yeah it's kind of my goal every time i write a new thing is like how do i make this spicier and i'm like man there's gotta i mean i you know imagination's the limit and i'm like gosh i i hope i live up to <laughs> like this is hard what a challenge i mean challenge accepted but like woo! i got my work cut out for me make it make it sexier every time I'm like every time i write a sex scene i'm like i cannot i cannot surpass this level of emotional like connection this how like how well i wrote this and then i like kind of surprise myself so it can happen but pressure is on Pressure's on. And you know, you always got me to be like, Kaylin, is this spicy enough? <laughs> what can I add here? Does this have enough penis in it? What do I need to add here? <laughs> That's right. That's true. That's absolutely true. And it helps too to have somebody who's like, okay, you could go a little further with this. Like that yeah. encouragement makes you feel more comfortable. You're like, okay, I can go there. Like, yeah. If the stuff that I read, if I tell you, okay, whoa, you made me blush. <laughs> That's too tone much. It, tone it down, sister. <laughs> then you know you've gone too far. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. I feel like my after Monster Romance, and I haven't read a ton of dark romance, but I've read like, you know, like a little handful. And I'm like, after that, I feel like 
uh, I don't know. Can you really like make me? I don't know. Can it be so sexy that even I can't handle it? I'm like, I have not yet reached that limit. What dark yeah. romance have you read? I read um, so the very first dark romances that I ever read was the Four Horsemen series by um, Lauren that Laura Thassilaw. I'm trying to think. Is that the one I'm thinking of? Does it have There's like different colored one. covers? Yes. And yes. But I don't know if it could, to, I think it could I don't still be, it, it could still be like okay, so it's the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And it's like a dystopian world. And the first book is I can type. Is it pestilence? Oh, yes. I have not read this yet. Okay, there. I know there's another Four Horsemen series, though, and I think it's modern day, and it's more like billionaire romance, maybe, maybe. I don't know if you're wrong about that, but I think there's another one. There, I'm Where thinking it's... of a different one. It's got like really bright colored covers, and I'll have to find oh, it. Um, and... these ones are more jewel toned, I guess. But yeah, I know which ones you're talking about. Yeah, I see them like every time I go to Barnes and Noble. Yeah, yeah. So, I was those were good yeah yeah no it's really ironic that i was like i'm gonna read pestilence while covid's happening because i wrote it i like i read it in 2020 like like as like the pandemic was going on i was like i devoured that book in the day it was so long it's like 400 pages maybe more i don't know but like i was that was the first time in a long time i wasn't paying attention to word count or not word count page count as i was going because usually i'm like i'll get to page 50 or you know like you know little milestones this was what i was thinking of you know i think yeah okay yeah this is called the horseman series too four horsemen yeah. by sarah bailey yep that's what i thought you were talking about sorry different no, dark not... romance different dark romance i yeah. read that one that series and, and what then, else did you read um i read one of carrie lake's but which one was it there was a cult involved but that might not be very distinctive there might be many cults involved in many of her books um and then i also read hooked which was like a modern day emily mcintyre yeah yeah i have that book and i need to read it so bad was it good it was i also would never match make any of my friends with with the male main character but you know when it exists in fiction yeah it's fine yeah him in fiction in the space of this book is fine it's great i i zoomed right through those pages yeah no i like have a, like a complex relationship with dark romance like i like to read it but i'm also like whoa so many alarm bells are going off <laughs> yeah it's like I I'm just like no we just gotta take it as it is and keep going. Oh another one um it's the Mindfucked series by S T Abby which you know if you say it fast enough it's stabby um and it, yeah that I don't remember how many books into that I got um at least the first two possibly the first three but that is really good and that's a uh, that's got a female protagonist that is a serial killer and she is like 
really, really good at what she does. And unfortunately, she's really good at what she does because she's driven by very, very, well, extremely like, like traumatic past experience reasons. Yeah. Like, like definitely read the content warnings before you go into that series. Kind of like, this is a lot. Um, but yeah, very, very good. In my opinion. I, I mean, need to, re- that's on my to, to be read as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like um, a lady that like competently murders like her abusers and her you know the people that have hurt her in the past i'm sorry but i'm gonna root for her really hardcore yeah (laughs) i don't care what her methods are i don't care how gory and graphic things get like good for her yeah these are back her life you know yep here for it so i mean yeah that's like kind of this scope of like dark romance i mean there might be a few more that i'm like not thinking of but like i've i've definitely dipped my toe and i'm like it is like it's very alluring it's like siren song to me like it's very alluring but i'm like these are dangerous waters i don't know if i'll come out in one piece i hope (laughs) listening to sip and smut that it will get you to see a different side of them yeah Um, because are you gonna focus on um a lot of dark romances yeah the series uh series one um episode i say episode my brain season one that we're working on right now it's a lot of dark romance Um, oh awesome yeah yeah i feel like they don't get a lot of attention in like the podcast like the romance podcast space i mean it's also been like i'm not up to date per se my listening has not been great but like from what I have listened to across romance podcasts, like it's historical fiction is often, or like contemporary romance is often like a highlight or like a focus. I mean, like, you know, of course there's, you know, paranormal and fantasy and like those do come up, but like never, unless it's like a rare episode, like I, like dark romance doesn't get that kind of attention. Yeah. We, we're definitely going to hit them and hit them hard. Um, we wanted to come out the gate swinging and the purpose we really want this show to be um we our focus is to hit these books so we're not just talking we're not just here to talk about the these books and the smut which was obviously the you know the purpose of the show um it's what our main focus is because we love reading these books and we love talking about the smut but we also want to talk about the the deep-rooted issues you know, that probably keep people from wanting to read these darker books. Um, and we're coming at it from a feminine perspective, you know. Um, so I'm hoping, um, our hope is to reach people. Um, I We have an, an episode uh, that we called episode zero that kind of just gives a broad, you know, uh, look into what the season is going to be like. And I made the comment, I want this to be a show for girls that you know people like me like this is a show that I wish that I could have listened to when I was younger and trying to find my sexuality and trying to understand my feelings when I first started reading smut I wanted somebody to tell me this was okay what you're feeling is okay the things that you've been through the dark fucked up shit you've been through you know the sexual assault you've been through um and reading these 
you know, finding therapy in these, it's okay. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of, that's kind of the approach that we're taking with this. Um, and I think we did a pretty good job with that with episode one that we recorded the other night. Um, well, so- I look forward, I look forward to listening to it because yeah, like as, as you said, like this is a safe space to process some really complex feelings, some really deep, dark feelings, and I can do it within the safety of fiction. Um, and maybe whatever the character that you're identifying with is going through, like there might be some similarities some relatabilities and yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it, yeah, no, I'm glad you're doing it because dark romance tends to get a lot of flack, even within its own genre. Um, and I don't need to, you know, I don't need to explain that to you because you know yeah. it. You probably have seen it so much online. Um, and especially about the books that we're going to be talking about in these first few episodes. I've seen people on Book Talk and on Smut Talk just shit all over these books and mm-hmm. it's like it's fine to have your opinion think absolutely what you, think yeah. what you think what you want to think about these books but there is a purpose there is a and purpose and you don't realize what you're saying not only are you attacking the author and their thoughts and feelings that went into writing this book but the things that they're saying about the people who enjoy and read these books and take comfort in a way from these books you don't understand the damage you're doing you know yeah yeah it's a it's a perspective you cannot even imagine you cannot like you can't put yourself in those shoes per se and like thank god you can't because it means you haven't lived a certain experience that has put you in the headspace so i get that yeah yeah but yeah we we cannot wait for everybody to hear it and I hope it gives everybody a different perspective and that they can take something of their own value of it. And, you know, maybe they're like, well, I'll give that book a try, you know? Yeah, I know. I'm going to be listening. I'm going to be like, "Eh, I'm going to be like stalking your social media. Like who is it dropping? I got it. I got to listen in. (laughs) The second that it drops and it's available out on Apple podcasts, you will be one of the first for you to know. Sweet. Well, again, thank you so, so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I had a lovely time. I did too. I wish we could just sit and talk forever. Um, But I know at some point you have to go to sleep. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) 